church family, will you take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We, uh, this morning, will begin in verse 14 and consider through the end of the chapter here in just a moment. I want to brag on you and give you a little updated piece of information. So Pastor Jay, during our time of elder prayer, prayed for our partnership with the Bear Foundation, and he told you that our uh, leadership team for that ministry would be in the lobby with bear tags. They won't be because you took them all. All right? So they're all gone there was a waiting list, I think, and this is more came in during the week. Uh, Angie was able to give them out. If more come in, we'll let you know. Uh, but thank you, church, for how you uh, care for uh, foster children here in Hampton Roads. Uh, I would just encourage you with what Pastor Jay has already uh, encouraged you with this morning. Pray for that ministry. Uh, we're, we're not just in the business of buying presents for children. We're in the ministry of proclaiming the gospel to people Uh, who need to hear it, and that is a uh, section of our uh, community that is so often neglected and forgotten about, and so we'll use this opportunity at Christmas to love them, to love those families, and to proclaim the good news of Jesus to them during this Christmas season. I invite you to stand with me now as we honor the reading of God's Word. This really is kind of an ending to a section here, as I told you when we started this series in 1 Corinthians, the first four chapters really are concerned with the subject of unity, and Paul is going to kind of end that section before moving on to a new idea in 1 Corinthians 5. So this morning, here's how Paul ends this chapter. The word of the Lord, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant. As though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out. Not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness and grace to us. How we are reminded, Father, of your love towards us as we experience the love of your gathered church who come together to worship our King and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who come to admonish and correct and encourage to love and to teach and to care for one another. Father, we are grateful to you for the spiritual fathers and mothers that are in this room who faithfully proclaim the gospel and faithfully shepherd those who are less mature than them, who are younger than them, in the ways of Christ. Thank you that so many in this room follow the example of Paul and of this text. We pray, God, that you would impress on all of our hearts today 
the need for this kind of personal investment in the lives of believers within your church, within our families, so that we may all be mature in Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today's sermon is entitled, Mentorship Matters. In the late 18 and most of the 19th century uh, Christianity in England, there were two giants of the faith. Charles Simeon, who was an evangelical Anglican who died in 1836 and then born the year after Simeon died, was the great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon. Both of these men were known for filling their respective churches to standing room only seating as they week in and week out proclaimed the goodness of the gospel, faithfully preaching God's word in the congregations that the Lord had entrusted to them. But now in the 21st century, we remember Simeon and Spurgeon not only because they were great preachers, but their legacy lived on not only in England, but really in evangelical Christianity around the world because they made the decision as pastors to invest in other younger pastors. You see, in uh, 18th and 19th century England, denominations didn't place a high priority on pastoral education. For instance, in the Anglican church during that time, there were no seminaries. Pastors were expected to simply learn the job uh, kind of as they did it. And both Simeon and Spurgeon recognized a great need for young men to be trained, not only in the word as they were training their entire churches, but to train them to preach and to, to pastor. And the example of these men have lived on through the decades and now centuries, not because they preached to thousands, but because they discipled dozens. This is a model for the church, a model that Paul provides here in this text that direct investment in the lives of other Christians, direct investment in the lives of the next generation, not only of church leaders, but of small group teachers and of ministry team leaders and of mothers and fathers and of children. As, as we pass the faith from one generation to the next, it requires this kind of investment. The main idea of today's sermon is that the biblical model of disciple making requires significant personal investment by mature believers in the lives of the less mature that there is a biblical model for disciple-making, that our mission to make disciples is not left to our own ingenuity. It is not left to our own creativity. We're not attempting, as I so often say uh, to not only our elders but other leaders here, we're not trying to build a machine that we can put someone in and crank a handle and on the other side out comes a disciple that the Bible actually provides for us a way of making disciples 
disciples, it's, it's long, it's tedious, it's messy and difficult, but it is a model that nonetheless has survived for centuries now. Where, where mature Christians take serious their responsibility to pass on the faith to the next generation. And then that generation becomes mature Christians and then they take serious the example that was left for them to pass on the faith. And this requires significant personal investment. It's, it's costly for us. It's time-consuming for us. It, we, 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 we do this with, with blood, sweat, and tears. So then when we are gone from this earth, what we can know is that the Christian faith, the church, survives and thrives as the gospel goes forth to the nations. So concluding this section in 1 Corinthians about church unity, Paul reminds them, after having uttered some of the harshest words, not only in this letter, but in all of the New Testament, he reminds them, of his role in their lives, of, of, of the love and care and, and really fatherhood that he has for this group of Christians. And this serves as a reminder and a model for us of how we should have spiritual fathers and mothers investing in our lives and how we should serve as spiritual fathers and mothers for those who are coming behind us. Let's begin in verses 14 and 15 where we really kind of see the, the crux of this argument before we see how it is done. First, the Christian faith is most faithfully passed on through intentional personal relationships. Paul says in verses 14 and 15, they do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Now remember, when he says, I did not write these things, he's addressing the specific things right, right before this, where Paul had basically said, who do you think you are? You remember last week. What, what gives you the right to do the things that you're doing, to, to seek to divide the church along cult of personalities? What, what, what makes you think you are kings while the, the apostles are mere servants? and destitute and poor and all of the things that Paul used in his own life and the life of other apostles to, to in, in some ways, it seems as if to, to shame the, the church at Corinth. But then he says, I, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. That, that, that what he's not just trying to knock them down off their pedestal. That's not disciple making. Disciple making isn't just trying to get the last barb in, isn't trying to get the last word in. It's not just trying to shame them. That's not his goal. His goal is to admonish them because he views them, he says at the end of verse 14, as my beloved children. He says in verse 15, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, it's important for us to understand the, the picture that, that Paul's painting about his relationship with the church that's gathered there in Corinth. He says, you, do not have, you, you, have, you have countless guides. Your, your English translation, some English translations um, 
have different words both for countless and for guides, and it's because we don't really have a one-for-one corollary from the original language to ours. Your Bible may say you have 10,000 guides. It's hyperbole that Paul is using, okay? He's using a hyperbolic word. He's exaggerating greatly, saying, you just have more guides than you can count. But even the word guide is difficult for us. Some Bibles translate it guide, some teachers, some tutors, because it was actually a really specific word in Roman culture. There was a position within wealthy households in Roman cultures that we would kind of refer to as, as a tutor or a guide. It was a live-in person who had, had a lot of respect and a lot of role in the family. And their job was the safety and education of children in the household. So wealthy homes would employ this person to live in their house. So, so think nanny, but a little bit a little bit more responsibility than that. Like they were, these were the people that were expected to teach culture. They walked them the places that they were to go and they were seen in the culture actually as very strict. That, that the image that you're supposed to have of this person is, is not like a guide saying, follow me, but a guide with a stick kind of behind them, right? Tapping them on the rear end when, when they were wrong. Like this is, this is what, what the word kind of represented in that culture. And Paul says, you have, you have countless people out there that are like that for you. But you do not have many fathers. So when we think about how we pass on the Christian faith, we, we have to understand that there, is, that there is this draw, this call in Scripture for in, intentional personal relationships. Relationships that go beyond just a hireling. And, and so often, this is where the church has gone wrong. We've, we've professionalized ministry to the point where a church just thinks, oh, we need a new pastor, let's just go hire one. And then that person comes in and kind of does that role for a little while, and then he gets a better offer to go do that somewhere else, and he goes and does that somewhere else. And, and there's never really this level of personal investment, not only from the from the. Uh, from the role of the pastor, but even within the church, because there's no demonstration of it. What Paul's calling us to, what he's demonstrating for us, is not that we would be these kind of guides, but that we would be the kinds of spiritual fathers that he is for the church at Corinth. Now let's ask this question first. Where does this start? Well, it starts in the home. The home is the first place this happens because Christian parents aren't just literal parents, but they should be first the first spiritual fathers and the first spiritual mothers that younger Christians have. The majority of people that come to faith in Christ, not everyone, but the majority of people that come to faith in Christ do so because of the faithful witness of at least one, if not two, hopefully godly parents in the house. That parents demonstrate to their children from a young age the importance of God's word, the importance of the gospel in their lives. And as our six core belief says, they, they teach the word of God in the home by example and instruction. And, and this, is, this is where we get this first image in our lives is from godly parents. And for those in the room that have had this, we often take it for granted But for the people in this room that didn't have that, you didn't grow up with a godly mother or father, 
you, you, you would long for something like that. You would tell those of us that did have that, that take it for granted, just how fortunate we are to have had that kind of instruction over the course of our most formidable years. So parents, what, what do we do? Well, we serve first and foremost, not only as literal mothers and fathers, but as spiritual mothers and fathers, following the instruction of scripture in Deuteronomy 6, where Moses says, in these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. This is the Lord speaking to Israel. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and, and when you rise. You see, the church, as, as it exists, as we say, we partner with parents to disciple their children, but we don't replace parents. So, so I can't talk about spiritual mentorship without beginning in the home, because this is the place you're going to do it. This is the place you're going to see it. It's not going to be the only place. And I'm going to, we're going to talk for just about the rest of the sermon about how the church does this. But I would be remiss if I didn't encourage and maybe even admonish the parents in the room, take serious your role as spiritual mothers and fathers to your literal children if you have them. Because God has called you to this. But children grow up. And as they grow up and as they come to know the Lord and as they become a part of his church, then they become more and more accountable to the local church to which they belong. And then over the course of time, others in that local church become spiritual fathers and mothers. They become those people. And as parents, we should celebrate this, right? As our children grow up, whether they stay in the same church as us, and we have that here, we're fortunate to have two, three, four generations of families that are a part of our local church. But then we know that too, because we're a part of this kind of transient military community, there's so many here whose, whose families aren't in this church. But I can tell you what their parents are grateful for. They're godly parents who raised them and have now sent them off in the world. They're grateful that other spiritual mothers and fathers in this church are continuing the work of disciple-making in the lives of these younger believers. This is what we do. The church passes on the faith. Now think about the way that Paul says this. He says, for you have countless guides, right? That's, that's, you have 10,000 of these tutors. So he's not, he's not discounting them, but he says, but you don't have any fathers for I became a father to you. I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now this is, this is a very practical sermon for us. And I'm going to get into some practical ways that Paul demonstrates how we mentor others in the faith. But, but we don't, we, we mentor people who are in the faith. We don't mentor someone into it. We don't mentor someone into the kingdom of God. What, what we do, don't miss what's happening here. What we do is we proclaim the gospel to the lost who are saved by the power of the Holy Spirit. We then mentor them in the spiritual truths that they are now able to understand. Think about the way Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Hear me, church, the rest of the sermon is useless if we don't get this. Because we don't pass on Christian morality. We're not mentoring people towards some kind of Christless goodness. 
when the gospel changes the lives of people through the faithful proclamation of God's word to the lost, then the church comes alongside of those people, regardless of how old they are. If they're young, then we're coming alongside of their parents as they do it. If they're older, then we are directly investing in them as spiritual mothers and fathers to teach them those things that now they can see because their eyes have been opened by the gospel. Often, Christians will consider passages like this and, and kind of create a checklist and think that if we just go through that checklist, then, then what we're doing is somehow creating Christians. Folks, we don't create Christians. We do disciple them, though. We do bring them along in, in the faith. And so, so maybe you're here today and you've never responded to the gospel. You, you, you don't have a mother or father in Christ because you've never believed. Understand this, there's nothing we can physically do to save you, but you can place your faith in Jesus today, my friend. You can trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You, you, you can be born again by the power of his Holy Spirit. And through that work of the Holy Spirit, he places you into God's family. And when you're then placed into God's family, you then have spiritual mothers and fathers who will faithfully come alongside of you and say, brother or sister, this is the way to live. And, and this this spiritual mentorship go, reaches down into so many aspects of our lives, or at least it should, this is why, and this isn't in your notes, but this is why in Titus chapter 2, Paul, Paul says older women, he's talking about older Christian women, likewise be reverent in behavior, not slandering or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so to train young, young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Say, so why, why go to... Titus chapter two, like why, why think about that in the context of spiritual mentorship? Because Titus two is a great example of how this kind of Christian investment reaches into both our spiritual lives and our practical lives. What are the older women there in Crete where Paul's writing to Titus supposed to do? They're supposed to teach other women to do things like be self-controlled and pure and kind. These are things that flow from a spirit that's dedicated to God. These are, some of these are fruits of the Holy Spirit working the lives of the others, but then they're also supposed to teach them how to do things like working at home and relating properly to their husband and, 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 and raising their children. These are just practical things. You see, once the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to those things that are spiritually discerned, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, then what the church does is the church comes alongside of us and says, here's how that actually plays out, not only in your own like, personal spiritual walk, but here's how that plays out in your home and in your job and in your friendships and in your marriage and in your parenting. That This is, this is the way that we do this, that we end up getting in the lives of, of one another, personal investment. So then how do we do it? Well, let's see what faithful mentors do. Three things faithful mentors do. One, faithful mentors lead others by example. Look at verses 16 and 17. I urge you then, be imitators of me, Paul says. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ and to teach them everywhere in every church. 
Later in 1 Corinthians, when we get to chapter 11, Paul's going to say, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This is an important distinction for it. For us, Paul is not trying to train up disciples of Paul. That would be in direct opposition to what he has addressed in these four chapters at the beginning of 1 Corinthians. Because that's exactly what the Corinthian church was trying to do. They were trying to claim some kind of special position in the church because of whom they were disciples. Well, I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. Paul's saying, all of us follow Christ. I'm your spiritual father, so in these things that I'm trying to teach you, imitate me because I'm further along the journey than you. I urge you then, be imitators of me. And he says in verse 17 that I sent you Timothy, who serves as an example in this, who is my, he calls him my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. So he uses the same language that he used about the church at Corinth, that the church at Corinth are his children in the Lord, but here's this personal example of that, Timothy, his child in the Lord, who he is directly invested in, maybe more than anyone else, he's directly invested in, and now he's sending them, he's sending Timothy as an example to them, to the church at Corinth, to to show them what it means to be this kind of example, to remind them of the things that Paul taught. So, just some, I'm going to ask some practical questions along the way here. Who, who do you look to in this way? When, when, when Paul says, I urge you then be imitators of me because I'm, I'm teaching the word, I'm, I'm an example of this, and we need to have these kind of faithful examples in our lives, who do you look to? Sure, you should say Christ. You absolutely should look to Christ. Sure, you should say Christ's word. You should absolutely look to Christ's word and those in Christ's word who have set an example for us. But are there faithful men and women who you see as examples in Christ? Are there faithful men and women, hopefully sitting right here in this room, that you say, I can look to this brother, I can look to this sister as a spiritual mother or father. I could look to them and say, help me become more like Jesus. Conversely, for the mature in the room, are you inviting others to imitate you? Are are you actually opening your life up to those who are less mature so that they can see Christ's work in your life? Are you showing them how to do this? Because you need to be. And by the way, you should never retire from this. (laughs) That, That you may not have the energy to do a lot of things anymore, but maybe until your dying breath, you can invite people into your life and you can talk to them about Jesus and you can talk to them about serving Jesus and you you can pray for them and and their families and and their ministries and, and you can faithfully pass on what you learned from God and his word and his Holy Spirit working in your life. Are you inviting others to imitate you? You see, Christian mentorship can't simply be do as I say and not as I do. Paul sets an example. He sends Timothy as an example. And this is what one generation does to the next. One generation says, this is what it means to follow Christ. Watch me. Now, here's the thing. We we all understand this principle because we've lived it just in regular life. Like, this is the way 
that because mentorship just isn't a Christian word, and I struggled using the word mentorship because it's not in the text, but I'm using it because it for us in our culture, like we just understand it. People get mentored in education. People get mentored in in workplace environments, right? Somebody knows how to do something, and they take somebody that doesn't know how to do it, and they say, watch me do this, right? And then they, after a while, they say, okay, now you're going to do it, and I'm going to watch you do it, and I'm going to correct you when you you do it wrong, and eventually you're going to know how to do this thing. And we understand that principle as it relates to welding or air condition repair or accounting or whatever it is that you do. But then we act like it's a foreign concept when it comes to the church. When that thing that we should be most invested in passing on to the next generation, we're like, well, I don't really know how to do that. Well, sure you do. Because Look, if you could teach somebody how to cook or if you could teach somebody, you know, how to to be a good naval officer or be a good doctor or if you could teach somebody how to do what you do, whatever it is that you do, you could also teach somebody how to follow the Lord. And one of the ways that you do that is you say, hey, come come and watch me. Now, let's just just be really frank for a minute. One of the reasons we don't do that is because we're afraid of what they're going to see aren't we? We're afraid that when we invite them in that they're going to see things that are unchristlike. We're afraid that we invite, when we invite them in that, that we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're not going to lead them as, as Paul led them. We're, we're going we're gonna to lead them in a way that, that, may be, that may be leading them astray. But if we don't do this, who will? Hear me, faithful saint in this church, somebody is going to disciple the young people in this church. It could be TikTok or it could be you. Somebody's going to do it. Somebody's going to teach them how to live. Somebody's going to show them what, what a version of right and wrong looks like. Somebody's going to do these things in their life. And and they're going to follow an example. The question is, are they going to follow yours or not? Are you going to be so consumed either with your own life and your own things that you got going on, or are you going to be so consumed with the idea that maybe I would be a bad example that you're not willing to say, hey, come, young Christian, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm going to help you in this. This, this, this should be just a regular occurrence in the life of the church that we are opening our lives up, false and all, by the way. Opening our lives up to less mature Christians saying, you watch me, I'm not going to do it perfectly, but you watch me nonetheless, and I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna help you become a better disciple of Jesus now that you can see spiritual things because he's opened your eyes. Number two, faithful mentors have hard conversations. Look at verses 18 through 20. Paul says, some are arrogant. He's talking about people there in Corinth who were causing these divisions as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Paul says, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm coming to you. 
And, and when, I, when I do, we're, we're going to have to have a, a, a conversation with some of you. Because some of you have become so arrogant. Remember their pride. We talked about pride last week. Their pride had, had puffed them up to the point that it was a primary cause of division within that local church. He says, some of, you are, some of you are arrogant thinking that I'm not gonna come and you're not gonna look at me in the eyes that all I'm gonna do is write these letters to you, that, that I'm not gonna come and stand there before you. But if the Lord wills, I'm on my way. And when I do, we're gonna have a conversation, not about words, but about power. Now, what's Paul saying? When he says, when he says that, 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 that the kingdom isn't about, it's not about talk, but, it, but it's about power. Well, the opponents of Paul, whether they were in Corinth or elsewhere, and he had opponents in a lot of places. The opponents of Paul had a lot of big words. Because remember, Paul wasn't this super eloquent guy. And so they had all of this talk. They had all of this rhetoric because that was so highly prized in Roman culture. The ability to make this argument so succinctly and so clearly and, 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 and to be able to do it with lofty speech and, and just wow everybody. And Paul says, it's not about talk, it's about power. It's about Holy Spirit power. Because when Paul preached, people's lives were changed. When, when the gospel was proclaimed, people went from death to life. And so so it, it's not gonna be about talk, it's gonna be about power. We're gonna have a hard conversation when I come. Faithful mentors have to be willing to actually look at people and say, brother or sister, this, this is where you're going wrong. This, 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 is, this is where you are straying. It, it is incumbent upon the church to be willing to do this in the lives of less mature believers. Paul demonstrates this for us. For instance, in Galatians chapter 2, Paul writes about a very difficult conversation that he has, and not with a you know, younger, less mature Christian, but, but a difficult conversation he has even with another apostle of Jesus. So one of the people there in Corinth that people had, had kind of rallied around a personality was, was Peter, was, was also known as Cephas. It's the same guy, the, the apostle Peter. And, and Peter had become fairly popular amongst Gentile believers, and he had actually proclaimed the gospel amongst Gentiles in certain places, and like Paul, had become a spiritual father to them. But Paul tells a story in Galatians chapter 2 of, this, of, of Jewish Christians being sent by James, the brother of Jesus, who's kind of the leader of the Jerusalem church, and, and all of a sudden, Peter started acting differently around Gentile Christians, he writes this in Galatians 2. When, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they, drew, when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by his hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Even among those who seemed equal, Paul was willing to have these kind of hard conversations. Listen, church should be the place where hard conversations are accepted. We should want these kind of people in our lives that say, brother, are you sure you want to be doing this? Are you sure you want to live this way? 
Sister, are, are, are you positive that, that this is the, the attitude that you want to have? Are you positive these are the kind of relationships you want to have? Whatever it is for you, you need people in your life asking the hard questions. And you need to be the kind of person willing to do so. Now, here's the, here's the danger. There, there, there's a danger of crossing a line here when I talk about this because somebody in the room is going to be like the arrogant people in, in Corinth and be like, all right, this is my new position in the church. I'm just going to be the guy that confronts everybody. Look, that's not what we're looking for either. What we're looking for is intentional relationships where, where mature Christians are in the lives of less mature Christians to the point where they see what's going on, they know what's going on, and, and they, they put their arm around them and say, brother, sister, is this the power of the gospel coming out in your life? So then some practical questions again. When was the last time someone had a hard conversation like this with you? When was the last time you were actually open up enough for somebody to come and to say, brother or sister, what's going on? I've noticed this because I'm invested in your life and I've noticed this. Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to sanctify you through this or are you still dabbling in this sin? And when was the last time you were willing to do that for someone else? So often this is where mentoring relationships in the life of the church go wrong because we see something as mature Christians, we see something happening in somebody's life, but we're not willing to actually call them. That's not love, by the way. Love is willing, and listen, again, I'm not talking about the person that just always wants to go around pointing out everybody's faults. But I'm saying when, when we're actually invested in somebody's life and we're loving somebody and caring for somebody and serving as an example for somebody and we're discipling this person, that discipleship has to include when we look them in the eyes and say, what you're doing is not right. What you're doing is, is not an example of the gospel. What you're doing is not a fruit of the spirit. And, and I wanna call you back towards faithfulness. So, Faithful Christian mentors set examples. They ask hard questions. The last one, faithful mentors provide both spiritual discipline and encouragement. Paul ends this section with a couple of questions. He says, what do you wish? He basically says, I'm gonna put it before you, church, because I'm on my way. Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? He looks back on that that tutor, that guide, that teacher, that live-in person that was kind of the, the harsh person for the children of wealthy families. He says, do I need to come with the kind of rod that those guys carried? Or do I come in a spirit of gentleness? How are you going to receive my encouragement? How are you going to see, receive my correction? How are you going to receive these words that I'm, I'm saying to you? Am I, is it going to have to be with a rod or is it going to be with a spirit of gentleness? And faithful mentors need to be willing to provide both. We should look no further for an example of this than just earthly mothers and fathers. Because earthly mothers and fathers have to provide a balance of dis discipline and gentleness. Right? And that doesn't mean that they all do. Some are all disciplined. Some parents are all rod. It seems like it's all they ever know. And in many circumstances, all this does is drive children towards rebellion. 
others are all gentle. They wouldn't know how to correct their child if, you know, even, even if somebody you know, told them to do it. They just, they, they've got no concept for what it means to actually be a disciplinarian in their home. And that too, most often leads to rebellion. But faithful, godly parents understand that there are times that I need to be a disciplinarian in my home and there are times that I need to be a gentle, loving encourager in my home. And, and there are times I gotta be both of those things really seemingly in the same conversation. And Paul says, what do you want? Which one of these types of fathers do you want me to come to you as? So church, what, what kind of spiritual mentors are we going to be to the next generation? Are we going to be the kind that always puts them down and is always criticizing who they are and what they're doing? Or are we gonna be the ones that always just are affirming of everything that they do? Because by the way, that's what our culture wants. That's what their TikTok disciples are telling them. Is, 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 is that the difference between right and wrong is whether it's affirming or not, right? And affirming always wins in our culture. But that's not scripture at all. That, that there's a balance for us where we in a spirit of love and gentleness are willing to both be disciplinarians in the lives of, of less mature Christians, but also encouragers. One of the shortest books of the New Testament is a personal letter that the Apostle Paul writes to a guy named Philemon. And, and, and it's, it's a really interesting story. There was a, um, a, a runaway slave that, that leaves where Philemon is in Asia Minor and ends up in Rome and under the ministry of Paul is converted. And, and Paul sends this brother back now to his home to make things right. And and because he, he knows the household that this guy's from, and he writes to the head of that household, his name is Philemon, and he says, So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own life. There's the disciplinarian. I could make you do it, Paul says. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Paul says, I can make you do it, Philemon, but I'm not gonna. I'm gonna just encourage you and believe that the gospel is working, the gospel is at work in your life. This is what, this is a great example of what faithful spiritual fathers and mothers, Christian mentors need to be in the lives of those less mature whom they are taking under their wing. We need to be willing to both speak discipline and encouragement. So what? Very practical. Who am I investing in and who is investing in me? I mean, really, this is where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? That, that these are just good ideas unless we're actually doing it. That, that real gritty disciple making, that, that personal investment in the lives of others and allowing someone to do that in me, that, that these are good biblical ideas that we think should happen in the church, but when we're actually talking to one another, what we find out that it's few and far between that these relationships are actually existing. So I just thought, what's the most practical question that I can ask? Well, who's doing this in your life? And for those of you that are more mature, whose life are you doing this in? And by the way, maturity doesn't necessarily correlate with age. There are some faithful, 
godly men and women in their 20s in this room. And I am grateful for them. I, I'm, I, I mean this. I am, I am a abundantly grateful for young millennials and even older Gen Z's who are faithfully serving the Lord. And it may be that some of those people need, need to invest even not only people their own age, but people older than them who are less mature in Christ. So it doesn't necessarily correlate with age, but it often does. It's often those who have walked with the Lord for decades, who have achieved this kind of spiritual maturity, that they're able to gently disciple and discipline and ask hard questions and say, this is what it means to follow the Lord. So who, who are you investing in? If you've been walking with the Lord for any length of time, you should have someone. If you have children in your home, it better be them. But maybe it goes beyond them within the life of the church. And then who's investing in you? Who's walking alongside of you? Who's looking at your life and saying, brother, are you sure this is the way you want to go? Sister, maybe this would be a better, a better way of being faithful to God's word. When a passage often calls us to direct investment like this, I will often turn our attention in conclusion to Colossians chapter one. It's one of my favorite verses, really two verses of the Bible. I used this just a few weeks ago in, in, an, in another sermon in 1 Corinthians, but it's such a clear reminder of, of what it means to have a heart of a true disciple maker combined with the message of discipleship. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter one. He says, him we proclaim, talking about Jesus. He's talking about the gospel. We proclaim the gospel warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, Paul says, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is a picture of what it means to be a disciple maker within the local church, that we're not drawing disciples to ourselves, but we're drawing disciples to the one whom we proclaim, Jesus Christ alone, warning everyone, teaching everyone, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. There needs to be within the church of God a no man or woman left behind mentality that we will warn and correct, we will reprove, we will rebuke, we will disciple, we will encourage, we will love all those within our congregation as we seek not to make them some form of good that the world would affirm, but that we would be able to present them mature in Christ and that we would toil and struggle to this end. I began by saying, this is hard work. It's costly, it's blood, sweat, and tears. So let me go back to my question. Who are you investing in in a way that is costing you? Who are you investing in in a way that you are actually spending your blood, sweat, and tears on this person? And then who is doing that for you? Because, oh, for a church that's going to have a culture of disciple making, for, for a church that's really going to take serious our mission to make disciples that make disciples, I believe this, every member of our church needs to have an answer to those questions.
So I pray that God would call us, impress upon your heart today the necessity of this level of personal investment in your life and in the lives of those around you as we disciple one another. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Christ and for his gospel that he alone can change lives through the power of the cross and his shed blood in our place. God, we pray that if there are those who've never believed that, that they would believe that unto salvation today. But as this is the gathered body of believers here, what we recognize is that so many of us have believed this. And now your, your word places upon us the responsibility of discipling others who have also believed it. Of, of inviting them into our lives and saying, follow me as I follow Christ. Be imitators of me. Let me show you an example. Let me encourage you and correct you when I need to. God, I pray that less mature believers in Jesus in this room today would open themselves to those kind of relationships. And I pray that more mature believers in this room would do the hard work, the toil, and the sacrifice that is needed as we make disciples from one generation to the next. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Church family, would you stand with us as we sing?